Recently, I was discussing with my cousin how bad I thought Black Adam looked. Now, this was before the movie came out, and he was in the opposite camp as I am, but I couldn't help double down on my claims that Black Adam looked atrocious. As we delved further into our surface level opinions, it got me thinking, has there ever been a Dwayne Johnson movie that I was truly excited to see, or one that I thought looked great? And even further than that, I thought, could Dwayne Johnson be more of a box office liability than a bankable draw? With this question in mind, I must iterate that I have no qualms about Dwayne Johnson. In fact, I deeply admire the man. His ability to go from star wrestler to actor, producer, and business entrepreneur is quite impressive. There are some Dwayne Johnson movies that I enjoy, and I feel the man is simply contagious. His energy is attractive, the way he interacts with fans is tremendous, and overall just seems like a great dude. I believe it's one of the reasons people like him. There aren't many Dwayne Johnson haters. Now look, what's your priority these days? Is it wrestling or is it furthering your career in movies like The Scorpion King? Uh, well, you know what, Steve? Uh, right now, I just I try to concentrate on the transition, transitioning into acting. Acting is something I've always wanted to do. I've been very blessed with what I've been able to accomplish in wrestling. Um, but of course now, you know, we all want to grow and I certainly want to grow as well, personally and professionally, and I can do that in acting. I just want to continue to, you know, make uh, big fun movies like The Scorpion King and the next movie I have coming up with Universal again. That's Dwayne Johnson discussing the transition from wrestling to acting in an Australian interview promoting his first leading role for 2002's The Scorpion King. It's funny to go back and listen to an early interview like this compared to something recent of his and notice the difference in his confidence, delivery, and basically everything. Reclaim the fanny pack, or what we'd call a, a bum bag. Bum bag, yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. I do. Well, it started with this picture. I have an infamous picture of me um, in my 20s, and I was just owning this look. I had a turtleneck. I had mom jeans on. I, had, I was wearing a fanny I think we've pack. Got the, we've got the picture. Here, oh, no. Th there you are. <laughs> it's a, it's a strong look. It's, it's something. It's a and this oh. was this was you being serious, yeah? No, oh yes, yeah. I think I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> that was from the Graham Norton show, and it just goes to show the charisma Dwayne Johnson has, and his ease of being able to speak to hosts, audiences, interact with other guests, has improved dramatically over his 20 years as an actor, as it should. But just because he's a good guy doesn't mean he's reliable for financial returns at the box office. So let's break down his box office record a bit. But before we can do that, first we need to understand a few aspects to the way box office revenues work. I, I don't know, it just, it, the whole business is, uh, for them, is about this stock and trying to buy it, sell it, repay their debts. I mean, they got four, I think four or five billion dollars in debt at AMC. Now, this is a high level executive with one of the largest movie theater chains in America. For his anonymity, I'm keeping his name private and have adjusted his voice. So let, let's take a movie like Black Adam, for example, because yeah. that's that's kind of the driving factor of why I'm doing this piece, right? Is the entire aspect of what I'm doing is uh, has been uh, kind of, I've been saying for years, Dwayne Johnson is not a financial, or financial um, uh, solid financial investment, at least domestically okay. for investors. And I had never done any sort of like research on the, on the numbers or anything like that. It was just my gut feeling. Because I look at a movie like, um, you know, whatever recent crap he's in that's that's huge. And you think, okay, so the movie has to make two to three times its budget in order to turn a profit. That's kind of just the common nomenclature, if you will. Yeah. 
So a movie like Black Adam with $200 million budget needs to bring in at least $600 million in order to turn a profit. I mean, that's not going to happen, at least not domestically. Hmm. Right? So, so, okay. Looking at the $67 million opening weekend, typical movie drops off 55% weekend over weekend. You're looking at a ending of around 165, right? Sure, that's lucky. With the weekly totals coming in, you know, those Monday through Thursday as well. So, with a movie like Black Adam, when film buyers are contacting the studios, is there a negotiation for, hey, we want to show it in this many screens? You know, do they have to pay a rental fee in no. order to show it? No, it's just negotiated on the total percentage. So, just take a look at uh, the studios always looking to make good. They never lose. Like they are, you can't negotiate with each other. You can't talk to other exhibitors. It's a one for one deal and they're a monopoly on the content. So you're going to accept their deal or you don't get it. Most times the studio wins, they get what they want. You're kind of fighting an impossible battle. So the studio, it's like Pawn Stars. The studio walks up and says, I want 60% of the box office. And Rick comes back, I'm going to give you uh, 55. Only in this scenario, it's flipped as far as who has the leverage, right? Because Rick always has the leverage. And so they have all the leverage. So if we say, no, we're going to pay you 55, they say 60, they're like, uh, it's 59 or you don't play the movie. So you pick. And so, man, you know, we paid this percentage on this movie and this percentage on this movie. And then they go, yeah, but you paid X percentage on Spider-Man. So I don't care. Like you're paying 59. So that's it. And the AMCs and the Regals, they always get less. They, they just know how to, they work that very hard. Uh, they also get paid for trailers from all the major studios, which is why they have so many. Um, Dude. Yeah. 25 minutes worth of trailers. Yeah, because they have a deal with every one of the majors to play a trailer on every movie. So they just get paid for that. Well, I mean, I guess that's cool. Another <laughs> revenue stream. And, you know, we have a new wrinkle that just got added for Black Panther, very similar to back in the day stuff. Now all these large blockbusters are going to no passes. So Black Panther, I don't know if you remember Star Wars, and we did that for uh, maybe something else that I'm not thinking off the top of my head. I'm, all the Star Wars, I feel like we've done that for. But Black Panther is a no passes. And so what we're hearing is that for all blockbusters going forward, if they think it's a big hit, they're going to go no passes. That's brutal, right? Wow. Now, it doesn't affect like A-list, right? I mean, you could still, I'm sure, use stuff like that. But just free passes are going to go away. The average, what is the average, would you say, percentage that studios are taking versus what theaters, exhibitors are keeping? Yeah, I think 50 to 55 on the smaller films and 55 to 60 on the bigger. And then, Really? It's, uh, it's that much? Like, I thought, I thought it was like 90-10. No, 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 no. Um, the highest I think I've ever heard is 70 65 70 what was that do you remember what movie? i think it was star wars but I, you know it's one of those like it has to be and maybe even avengers could have been something like that too like avengers might have been like a 65 but the, it has to be such a slam dunk that we say whatever you want man I, I have to play this movie i can't possibly not anytime there's push you can always you know I, they that negotiation is the worst because you negotiate every single movie and so it's like a weekly episode of Pawn Stars going back and forth on these movies. And it's always in their favor. I mean, it's rarely ever, 
every now and then you'll get a uh, smile that I bet you Paramount did not know that was a hundred million dollar movie. And so we might have negotiated if they knew it was a hundred, we'd probably pay 58, 57, but we probably paid like 52, 53. And so when you think about those three or four points, it doesn't sound like much, but when you're talking about $6 million in box office, that's an extra 250 grand you might make because you had, you negotiated a good deal. Hmm. So it's always in our favor for smaller movies to go big, like the out of nowhere hits. It is always in the studio's favor to release giant blockbusters. So is is a movie like uh, Terrifier two? The thing about it is it's it's a it's a fun, that's a fun thing, right? A movie costs two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make and make seven million. That's a fun thing, but that's that's not a needle mover, right? Yeah. Even if we got the best percentage, which is like fifty, if you get 50, 50, that's like you killed it. So that's almost like a you're welcome for us playing it here. It's nice. It's good for the industry to see that. Uh, the ones we do really well on would be Netflix, Amazon, Apple, like that percentage, they're not getting 60% because they're playing it in such a short window and playing it day and date. So those were, the terms are much more favorable. So if you can get those movies to do well in the little short run that it has, and then you kind of shift it off, that's really a way to, for us to win, but they're rare. They, they don't have a lot that does well. So I saw we we me and the wife went and saw Red Notice, yeah. uh, and that was playing at one of your locations. Theater was stuffed. It was in okay. second largest house, absolutely stuffed. But it was also playing the same day at just on Netflix. Yeah. So something like that. Are you saying you can get as high as? Oh, it definitely can get better. I'm sure we can get we we get better than fifty if they do that. Uh, but that's rare. I don't remember that movie doing much of anything anywhere. So yeah, that's very rare. I mean, it, it, I don't think it did because I looked at the numbers for prepping this, you know, and it didn't really do anything. So do the percentages stay the same weekend over weekend? Or, you know, do you ever get to renegotiate this, mm. to yeah, say, I, you I've know, hey, on heard. week five, we want more because it's going down. Top Gun is the exception, that. right? Because that movie right. had unbelievable legs, but... Huh. I've never heard of it being like that. To me, I think that was a uh, that was an old school thing because screen space was so valuable back then to hold a movie past a certain point. You know, my theater that I started at was eight screens. That was a big deal to have eight screens. And then when we opened, you know, 11 and 14 screens, like that was kind of unheard of. So for the most part, I think when it was the screen space was limited, and you were also fighting for product, right? That was the old day and date. Like, I get it, you don't. In that space, it was valuable to say, we'll pay you X for this time. And then they would hold it and start getting better percentages over time. But I think it's less, I, I've never heard of that anymore. Because I think hmm. everybody knows the shelf life of a film now, outside of Top Gun, outside of these very rare examples are extremely quick, especially with all these services now. Like yeah. everybody knows if you've waited a month, I mean, there's probably an ad that says, Hey, coming to your favorite service in 20 days. Like, okay, well, I guess I'm good. Like I didn't need to see it. So we didn't go see it. Well, I think bros was like that, right? Movie comes out tanks. Yeah. And then three days later, it's available on Apple to rent or yeah. purchase rent for 20, buy for 25. Absolutely insane. 
Well, and I think the, the, the deals that are being struck behind closed doors right now is I think a lot about if a movie bombs, then they're going to go quicker to their services with it to try and make ancillary dollars. And we're saying, well, if you do that, then we're, we're just going to rub you out of the theater. We're just going to move you right out. And so it's, it's a game, I think. And right now the studios have all the leverage because they have all the content and we don't have enough. We, we don't have enough to fight with right now. So it's all the studios that are trying to get that. And everybody got killed over COVID. So now everybody's trying to make money and nobody has any. So that's another <laughs> real problem, right? I mean, it's like everybody's trying to make up for these couple of years they lost overnight and everybody's losing. So from your understanding, do you have any sort of insight into how much money a movie needs to make in order to break even? Or would you say that two to three times its budget is fairly accurate. Yeah, I think that metric has changed with all these services now. Because how valuable is it? So you talked about The Rock, right? And the two to three times. And, you know, that was under the old auspice of you would sell it in the theater, you'd sell it to DVD, and then eventually it would show up. They'd sell it to TBS, TNT, and you could play it on TV. Now, how valuable is it for Warner Brothers in this case to 45 days later be like, hey, Black Adam is coming exclusively to HBO Max, sign up for HBO Max. And what's that worth, right? How do you quantify that? And I'm sure they're not, nobody's talking about their private services other than actual users because all these uh, actors are being paid on the back end. So they don't give up. Hey, because your movie came to my service, it got another million subscribers. Well, if I'm The Rock, I would say, great, I'm getting points off of that too now. I want money off of that million subscribers that pay $10 a month. They don't do that, right? They're just talking about movie box office gross that everybody makes money off of, which is why Tom Cruise, who always makes money on the back end, was like, this movie is not going to any service. And it didn't go for, I think, 100 days. You couldn't get that. Dude, drove me nuts. I wanted to watch it so many times. Yeah. Like, just come to iTunes, please. Yeah. Because every movie's had this window of four to six weeks, it seems. Yeah. And then that, yeah, three and a half months. Yeah, I think 45 days is like the new accepted window. If you're a big movie, 45 days later, Disney's kind of set that standard with Disney Plus. It's going to be there 45 days later. But this is where I, I think, you know, the, you bite off your nose to spite your face, right? They're going so quick to the service that people who didn't watch it the first few weeks then go, oh, well, if we just wait a couple more weeks, it'll be on our service that we already pay for. So if it wasn't a big deal to get us out week one or two, you know, what's the big deal now? Uh, hmm. And I think that's, eventually that'll be seen as a problem. They were going at 17 days for a while. And so a lot of them, like bros probably even did that. If they, if they bomb, they go very quick. But you're not seeing that as much. I think everybody's kind of figured it out. HBO figured out right away that going to the home and at the theater was a bad idea. So it's changing, but not fast enough for the theaters, I think. It's just what's ever best for them. When it comes to, you know, the the rumor has been theaters keep 0% of ticket sales. That's just incredibly false. Totally false. Never, so, never been the case. So why are you guys raping us with the concession? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it, man. <laughs> so, so last question here: If a movie wants to break even, is there a number based on the movie's budget that it needs to hit that can 
in, in today's climate that we can use to kind of measure that? Um, so based on a movie's budget, well, I think there's got to be analytics out there that talk about the marketing of a movie, right? And I think average spend on a marketing of a movie is probably based on what they think a movie will do. And so I think marketing budgets for these films are 10 to 20 million as well. I just think when we're talking about break even, let's just make sure there's like four or five people who get paid on a movie. And so a lot of who makes money or who doesn't has to do with how the movie was like constructed, who put in the money, who's bought it out, who's distributing it. There's some distributors that just distribute a movie. They don't have tie into the budget. And so they make money just by distributing it. Um, it depends. But I think a good rule of thumb is still that that two times because of the fact that we're really getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50% of that box office. So that's why it's always been thought the movie has to make double. Um, but I think the last part of that that really matters now is does that distributor have a service and is that movie going to elevate the service afterward? I think that's the new metric now. So a movie might not make as much money. I think one of the, probably one of the best ones to look at for that is like Black Widow and Jungle Cruise, like those being X amount of dollars on Disney plus and still making a hundred million dollars for Jungle Cruise and 150 plus for Black Widow. Let's say those movies had these outrageous budgets. Well, but how much did Disney make? Well, they didn't share the 25. Like if you bought for the 25, you know, like he says in Kingpin, this one's only getting split one way right <laughs> so it's i think there's a difference there of do you make a movie that really elevates that service too and i think that's why you're seeing so many movies be made very cheaply and very quickly just to have content on service because netflix i think is just a treasure trove of something i don't know i can't find movies on there half the time but i think every service is trying to get to that point like and I think the most valuable thing that they have found is TV sitcoms. Like that is something that keeps people going. And so you're seeing everybody try to find that, that three season hit, like that, that TV that can make it. But none of those contracts are available enough for them to play in a theater. And I think one day, hopefully in my short lifetime here, <laughs> that we're going to see the Disney plus WandaVisions and Loki's premiere on Disney plus, And then a few days later, play in a theater. That's the, the, the path, you know, when Netflix can take stranger things and find a way to get that when, when Warner brothers can find a way to get game of Thrones into a theater, they just don't have the contracts set up for it because none of them really saw that as an Avenue. Mm. But I think one day it will. And when it does, I think, you know, the right shows, I don't know if anybody's going to watch, uh, American Ninja Warrior at the theater, but maybe the season premieres or finales of the Lord of the Rings series, the Stranger Things, you know, those top 10 programs that everybody has. You know, I think, it'll, especially now that they're going to this weekly television programming, you're seeing Warner Brothers go weekly with House of Dragon. You're seeing Disney go weekly with theirs. I think the more of that you see, the more opportunity it's there. Like, mm. We could always play a two-hour episode. We'll play last week's episode plus the new one. And, you know, what's the charge for that? And and you can always, I think, find... I'd go for 10 bucks. Well, and that's the thing, right? Is I think that's... 
when, when stuff like that starts happening, that'll be us working together. Right now, they're just thinking, and, and it would be good for them, I think, too, because the more interest there is in a series, the more people want to subscribe to the service to go back and watch it all. So, And so has there been a single movie that you can remember in your tenure as an executive that has been like Smile, where it's like, wow, we got a great deal and this movie blew up? Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man, everybody knew would go well. No Way Home? Yeah, this last one. Yeah, everybody knew it was going to be big, but nobody knew it was $800 million. I think everybody saw that as a 400 to 500. And so because of that, Sony remembered that. Like Sony was (laughs) like, we, you know, that's like a scoreboard moment for them forever. That's a phone call from Hangover. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we fucked up. Yeah. And, you know, the other one that really played into that was Godzilla, you know, because during the pandemic, nobody was releasing any movies and HBO went HBO Max with Godzilla. And so it was like, well, what's Godzilla? What was it? I can't remember the title of it now. King of the Monsters. Right, right. So when that came out, it was, okay, well, we're getting a great deal. So let's hope it does well. And then it makes a hundred million dollars. And so if you think about the percentages, that's almost like a, a regular film making 200. And the fact that it was during the pandemic when we had no other business, it was like, thank God a movie makes money. So I, those are the two that jump out like right away. Like those were, those were big. Like those, I would say, I mean, sure there's other, like I, I can't remember like a big fat Greek wedding, like something that just comes out of yeah. nowhere and makes uh outrageous money you know something about mary i mean those are like old school examples uh but recent because of the dollars involved i can tell you there's been some big money losers too holy mackerel like james bond was a big that was a loser like that movie was supposed to make serious money and it did not well it was bad yeah that that's that's one reason uh so i think there's more examples on the opposite side than there are on the positive but interesting those are the two and then yeah smile like i don't know man none of us had even heard of this movie and it was like maybe it'll make 20 million dollars and here it is about to make a hundred uh well 20 opening weekend i think it was like ah 10 to 15 you know it makes 25 it's a horror movie see you later you know now it's like again going to make a hundred million like forget it uh but then there's more examples of like Black Adam, where they know it's big. They take a huge percentage. It dies quick. We don't get enough of, you know, there's not enough juice coming out of that thing for us. And so you're like, oh man, like Black Panther, like Disney's just sitting there like, yes, we know <laughs> what it will make. Yes, you will pay. And, but what else do you have? You have no other content. They, there's almost no other movies in November. So you're like, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think, there's more examples bad than there are good. I think one of the worst ever was the last Star Wars. That the Star Wars that uh, I think right. the Star Wars that just bombed against Jumanji. Rise again, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that one bombed compared to because everybody thought you know the first one coming back it made nine hundred million like this one's going to be and it, and it it did not and they took all the I mean that was like a seventy thirty no passes uh audit all audit everything that you did with the movie if you played it you had to give them their the plf for a month what what is plf 
premium large format. So that's like an industry term. So what's playing in the PLF screen? That's basically your whatever it is your largest premium format and uh, you upcharge for. Now, AMC has like three different versions, right? They have Dolby Cinema. They have, uh, they do something else. It's like their own in-house version, which is similar. And then they have IMAX. So they have like four at some sites. Hmm. So Jumanji never got to play in the PLF. Uh, stuff like that. I think there's more examples of those. So here's where things get tricky. Each movie has a different standard by the amount it needs to recoup to be profitable. As we heard, every movie is independently negotiated with each theater chain. So the portion a studio gets to keep is dependent on each negotiation. So every movie has a different standard. We also have to consider the marketing budget for a Marvel film versus a Paul Thomas Anderson film. The marketing budget alone is massively different, but juxtaposed to its budget, they're probably pretty close to each other. The typical projection is that a film needs to make anywhere between two and three times its budget to make a profit. So let's take the middle ground of that two and a half times its budget. I've taken all of Dwayne Johnson's films from The Scorpion King to Black Adam and analyzed the data with some simple math to determine if his films are in fact profitable. Also, for the purposes of fairness, I did not include films where Dwayne Johnson was not in the top build cast. Films like You Again, The Other Guys, or Fighting With My Family are not on this list. But since his first leading role in 2002's The Scorpion King, Dwayne Johnson starred in 28 theatrical releases. I say theatrical because I clearly am not including Red Notice or Jungle Cruise on this list as both were released on streaming and skew the numbers quite a bit. If you'd like to see the full list, you can check the show notes. The film industry isn't the most transparent when it comes to its financials. Often things are very secretive when it comes to the breakdown of a film's financial returns data. For example, if you have five people involved, each set up to receive 1% of a film's profit, each could end up with a very different amount due to the fact that the term profit could mean something different for each person in their agreement. And to make this easier for analysis, we are only taking into account a film's production budget and an estimated marketing cost, so we are dealing with grosses only in this. Overall, Dwayne Johnson's movies have domestically earned a total of $3.4 billion. Internationally, they've earned $6.7 billion, bringing the worldwide total to over $10 billion. This is also with a total of $2.6 billion in production budgets. Now, upon hearing that, it seems like a no-brainer for any investor to back a film that he's in. But when we start looking a little deeper, we can see the cracks in the logic. Let's start with The Scorpion King. It grossed $91 million domestically, which in 2002 was a solid number, and if adjusted for inflation, would be around $144 million. Internationally, the film grossed $89 million, bringing its worldwide total to $180 million on a $60 million budget. Without accounting for any marketing, the film would have made a profit of $31 million domestically and $120 million for its worldwide totals. But let's say the film needed to make the two and a half times its budget for a profit. That would include the cost of marketing in that assessment and considering this was Dwayne Johnson's first leading role and was piggybacking off the established Mummy franchise as a temple, the studio would have thrown a lot of money at marketing. With that metric, the film would have needed to recoup $150 million for a profit. 
That means domestically the film lost just shy of $59 million, and worldwide totals would bring it into the black for a profit of $30 million. Now, this is not taking into account the very volatile foreign markets of the box office and how much the studios actually get to keep from these markets. Volatile is the word. Uh, China is the worst. <clears throat> In China, that's where you start to hear like the 80-20 splits. Well, I think what you're seeing too is that they want all the movies edited in order to play in their countries. They want they want more things than I think a lot of studios. For a while there, there was money to be made. There was money in the banana stand, so to speak, right? I mean, there was money there, but they've they've looked at it and go, okay, in order to market it, distribute it, set it out, premiere it, do all these things, it's gonna cost me X, but I'm only getting 30, 35%, 40% of this movie, you know, the, the thing about international is there isn't an AMC, Regal, Cinemark, like the top three make up 65% of the industry. There's like a hundred different distributors out there and you have to negotiate with each one. And so you might have a really good deal with one, you might have a terrible deal with another. Uh, I think that's why it's so difficult to make money internationally. And that's why when you see, when you see grosses, you always see North America and then international. You don't just see what's Europe and what's this and what's that because every one of them is just nutty. Would you say the average is internationals keeping like 65, 70%? Oh, I would say easily. I think it, it's definitely more, more in their favor than it is here. So 70% would be an easy average. I think so. And, and I think that's why those movies make 65% of their money internationally. And so you see what Avatar made, right? Like Avatar made 2.2 billion. Well, it only made 600 and whatever here. It made 1.6 international, but the money they made on the international is very low. And so there's a lot of movies that are kind of made for that international box office. And then there's some movies that are made more for the American box office. It goes back and forth, but it's tough, right? I, I think you're seeing more and more China's just shutting down like they're not even playing a lot of films anymore they're really trying to in-house everything so everybody's kind of given up on that market but you're not seeing the 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 end result of that for another couple of years because these movies have all been made like every bad guy what is every bad guy right he's he's the same he used to always be x or y he was you know now there's no chinese bad guys it's all russian bad guys or it's a you know a, a some neo-nazi bad guy you know it's like ah that's the that's the one because if you have a bad guy from china they won't play the movie so that's hard right that's why a lot of those marvel films started getting tossed out because they wouldn't uh the uh, the ancient one was always from taiwan in the comics and then they made her celtic to make it like oh yeah no that's not you know because the whole chinese taiwan thing they didn't want to get into that space so even if we say that a studio is going to be only retaining 40% of its international numbers, that changes the metrics drastically. The Scorpion King would now have lost $5 million for its worldwide gross. But for now, let's just hang on the domestic totals for a moment. If a film needs to earn two and a half times its budget to make a profit, then Dwayne Johnson would have to wait 14 years from the Scorpion King to see that happen domestically with 2016's Central Intelligence. That would be the first Dwayne Johnson film to turn a profit domestically. Central Intelligence earned $127 million at the box office on a budget of $50 million. So the film needed to earn at least 125 to be profitable, earning a take home of 2.4 million in profit. 
even if we dialed back the amount it needed to make to 2.25 times its budget, it would still be the first domestic profitable Dwayne Johnson film earning an after-cost profit of $14.9 million. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of figures at you, so let's just be basic with this and keep the 2.5 times its budget figure our standard. So let's jump in a little further into what the movies would have lost. And this is domestic figures. The Scorpion King would lose just under $59 million. The Rundown would lose 164. Walking Tall, negative 68 million. Doom lost $121 million. Southland Tales, 42 million. Gridiron Gang, 36 million. Get Smart, 69 million. Race to Witch Mountain, 57 million dollars. Planet 51 lost $132 million. Domestically, Central Intelligence, Jumanji, and Jumanji 2 are the only profitable films Dwayne Johnson. And of these 28 films, using the worldwide totals, adjusting for the amount that studios retain, only 10 have been profitable. 2018's Rampage is the smallest deficit, losing only $2.7 million, while 2003's The Rundown lost $144 million. But with these deficits, there are some high-grossing films that, again, using this equation, do turn a profit. Fast Five, Pain and Gain, Fast and Furious 6, Fast 7, San Andreas, Central Intelligence, Fate of the Furious, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, Hobbs and Shaw, and Jumanji and the Next Level are the winners here, raking in $2 billion. The largest of these would be Fast 7 with $575 million, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle coming in second with $514 million, and Jumanji 2 coming in with $295 million. But here's another fact that I find interesting. Of all the movies that have turned a profit, all but three were based on existing IP. Jumanji, while still a reboot, still relied on the existence of the 1995 Robin Williams film, which earned $100 million domestically and a worldwide gross of just under $263 million. I bring this up to say that the films released that were profitable worldwide mostly relied on existing pre-established intellectual property or franchises. Central Intelligence and San Andreas were profitable along with Pain and Gain, but that's also pushing it a little bit because it is based on actual events and magazine articles. But is that really saying much? Of the top 100 grossing films worldwide, only 13 were original IP. Now I'm not saying films based on existing IP should be thought of any less. But in this instance, I do think it is worth noting that the Fast and Furious franchise was four films in when Dwayne Johnson joined and had already raked in nearly a billion dollars worldwide between them. I do feel the presence of Dwayne Johnson helped jumpstart the franchise, but so did the progression of the genre. Going from street racing to heist films helped broaden the audience and make the production more marketable to a larger viewing base. Now let's jump back to Black Adam. Black Adam opened with $67 million on its domestic opening weekend, and if the average film drops 55% weekend over to weekend, I honestly predicted that this film would end with about $165 million for a nine-week run, and currently it's at about $163 million. And with a $200 million budget, it would be equally expected to lose money domestically. As for worldwide, we'll have to wait and see on the final numbers for that. To come to a culmination of numbers here, of all Dwayne Johnson's films, including Black Adam's projections, they have earned a total of $3.4 billion domestically and $6.7 billion internationally, a total gross of $10.1 billion. Now, using our 2.5 figure, we would need to recoup $6.6 billion to make a profit, something the domestic box office cannot support. 
In fact, it's a loss of $3.2 billion. But the worldwide box office tells a different story. Luckily, for Dwayne Johnson, his worldwide figures on some of his films are so massive, they would equate to a total profit of $800 million only. This is all to say that, domestically, I don't believe Dwayne Johnson is a reliable investment. Without the equation of the 2.5x the budget, the total domestic gross profit only equates to $758 million in profits after subtracting the total budgets of $2.6 billion. Worldwide still might be a risky investment, especially if the film being backed is not based on existing IP. Now again, I really do enjoy Dwayne Johnson, and I enjoy some of his movies. Black Adam was, as I expected, bad. Like, really bad. But he still seems like a great dude who attracts so many viewers that I don't see him stopping production on any of his movies anytime soon. So with the A-list, right? So I get that ticket for eighteen seventy-five is what it would cost me to pay out of pocket. Yeah. $20 for the month. So by, by me going to see Black Adam in the Dolby, they're paying the studio that $18.75 on my behalf? Well, I mean, yeah, whatever their negotiated rate is, right? I mean, most higher level, I mean, everything's scale and uh, based off the last film, it's probably never lower than like 50 to 55%. And some are as high as like 60 to 65. And so of that ticket, they're only getting half the money. So they're begging and praying that every time you come, you're going to. So basically, you know, you got a ticket, they paid out $9. So right now they have you for $11 on one visit. They're hoping whatever you bought in the concession stand kind of gets them ahead. And I'm sure they have all kinds of tracking to show what everybody's spending and how it's working. But that, that's really the bet is... I'll just get you to come always and hope that you buy stuff at the larger price. Well, and I, I, I'm, that makes sense theoretically, right? But then there's people like me that are like, you are not taking me for another penny yeah. over that $20. I am going to rip you to shreds with the amount of movies I will see yeah. if they're chick flicks, documentaries, God's Not Dead 8. I will see anything and everything to yeah. get my money's worth. And I, I, I don't buy anything at AMC. I mean, the hope is always that, hey, maybe this guy's going to buy a burger because he didn't have lunch. And maybe he's going to buy, a, you know, and the second we can turn that, now that is really, really worth it. So trying to find a program that makes sense with how much people watch, you know, like yourself. Yeah, they're, they're just betting. Again, they're a public you traded. So they have to show everybody we have 500,000 users paying us $20 a month. And so we have guaranteed revenue of, you know, X every single month. Like we're all, we're always going to get $10 million, like $10 million a month in revenue because these folks are paying. What's negotiated on the back end? How do you hold off paying the studios? Look at what just happened to Regal. So Regal claims bankruptcy. And one of the number one creditors they have outside of their leases is all the studios. Like all the studios are sitting there going, where's my money? I want all the money that you owe me because you don't pay until the film has finished. So really, yeah, you don't, you don't tip. Now, some of them during COVID, when COVID was coming to an end, they were wanting what's called weekly settlements. They wanted to be settled weekly, but most of them you don't pay until the end, like till the end of the run. So wow. you can make the money, then you can put it in, earn interest, make money on the float, right? Kind of like what a, a lot of other businesses would do that kind of take in your money, like gift cards, 
the, the main driver of gift cards is making money on the float. You buy it. I set it in the bank. It earns interest. It doesn't get really bought or, or used for another month or so. And then how many are unused? So you make money on the interest on that too. So. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you come back for Pop Culture Playoffs with myself and Marcus, as well as a few of our episodes of The Remakers. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you on the next episode.